The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Good evening to all of you. I am Ali Velshi, and for Joy Reid, and we begin the readout tonight with the fight for Ukraine, which is going to continue into its sixth day tonight after a first round of so-called peace talks concluded this morning. Now, those talks were held at Ukraine's border with Belarus, and they yielded no breakthroughs. While President Zelensky sent high-level officials to negotiate in good faith, the Russian delegation was led by Vladimir Putin's, quote, advisor on culture, a choice junior enough that may indicate he has little interest in ending the siege. In a speech late today, President Zelensky of Ukraine criticized the talks, saying they were conducted against the background of bombardment. He accused Russia of war crimes, calling for the destruction of their economy and for their removal from the United Nations Security Council, uh, which has a rotating chair. Russia is the chair of it at the moment, ironically. Meanwhile, Russia's currency, more unstable than ever thanks to crippling new sanctions, the European Union is preparing a massive delivery of weapons to Ukraine. They've closed Europe's airspace to all Russian aircraft, as have other countries. But Putin's not only isolated on the world stage, he's being humiliated on the actual battlefield. Think about this. 75% of the forces that he staged around Ukraine, on the borders of Ukraine, are now inside the country, and the shelling continues. But despite Russia's vast military superiority to, to Ukraine, Russia has somehow been unable to take and hold any major cities after five days of fighting. They still haven't gained control of Ukraine's airspace. Their advance has been plagued by logistical failures, broken supply lines, delays. But it may be attributed to something else. Far stiffer resistance than anyone expected. In addition to the bravery of the Ukrainian armed forces, we've seen powerful images posted to social media showcasing the courage of ordinary Ukrainian people, including video of people physically blocking tanks with their bodies. There are signs that some of Russia's soldiers didn't even know they were actually headed to war. According to an expert with the German Marshall Fund, quote, soldiers captured during the invasion have told interviewers that they believed they were taking part in exercises, end quote, which, as you recall, is what the Kremlin was telling everyone. She said, quote, many of them, if not most of them, say they've not been informed by their leadership why and where they are going, end quote. To that point. Take a look at this recent video showing a Ukrainian resident mocking a Russian soldier whose tank reportedly ran out of gas. Потому что тоже пацаны не знают, куда еду, не ехать. Блин. И ну, я вот всю колонну пообслуживал таких, как вы. Никто не в курсе вообще, кто куда едет. I asked the whole column of people like you. No one knows where they're going. The Russian soldier didn't appear to have any idea where he was going. 
Another indication that Putin's forces may not have been as prepared for this conflict as Putin wanted the world to think. Meanwhile, by raising the specter of nuclear war two times in a week, by the way, but he escalated it yesterday, Putin is further alienating himself from the world at large. This morning, Ukraine's ambassador to the United Nations responded to that threat with some blunt words for the Russian autocrat. Listen to him. If he wants to kill himself, he doesn't need to use nuclear arsenal. He has to do what the, same, what, what the guy in, in Berlin did in a bunker in May 1945. The guy in the bunker in Berlin, he's talking about Hitler. Now, report, new reporting now indicates that Putin may escalate his attacks further in an attempt to break Ukraine's momentum. We're already seeing increased Russian shelling in some residential neighborhoods in Kharkiv, which is the country's second largest city. It's in eastern Ukraine. A senior defense official today said that frustration on the battlefield could lead to a more aggressive approach by the Russians. Satellite imagery is now showing a 17-mile-long convoy of Russian vehicles, tanks, and artillery 15 miles from Ukraine's capital of Kiev as of this morning. Joining me now is NBC News correspondent Erin McLaughlin. She's in Lviv in western Ukraine. She was in Kiev. And NBC News senior international correspondent Keir Simmons reporting from Moscow. Good evening to both of you. A good morning to you. Erin, uh, let's start with you in Lviv. Uh, many people in Ukraine have moved west. Some of them have stopped where you are in cities in western uh, Ukraine. Others just kept on going uh, to the Polish border. The Poles saying in excess of about a half a million people, I believe, have now crossed over. That's right. And Ukrainians that I've been speaking to here in Lviv are absolutely traumatized. I was speaking to one woman at a shelter here. Uh, she was from Belarus originally, was living in Odessa and fled the city uh, with her husband. And she was incredibly concerned, not only for her own safety, but also for the safety of her mother living in Belarus, describing the agony that her mother was facing as she had to watch Russian forces fire missiles from Belarus in the direction of her daughter. It's those kinds of traumatic scenes that I'm hearing from so many Ukrainians. Now, today, in speaking to people here, they were extraordinarily concerned with the situation in Kharkiv. It's that city in the northern eastern section of the country, the second largest city, which was subject to what Ukrainians allege were seemingly indiscriminate uh, artillery fire, grad rockets raining down on the center of the city, striking homes, according to the Kharkiv mayor. Eighty homes were flattened today by Russian forces, nine civilians killed, including three children. And it's the civilian toll that is so concerning here with the International Criminal Court opening up a case, an investigation into possible war crimes by the Russians during this invasion. It was something that President Zelensky noted during his address that he posted on his Telegram account uh earlier this evening, uh, calling on the international community to strip Russia of its U.N. Security Council seat, also calling into question uh, the 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 um, the negotiations that are now going on between the Russian delegation and the Ukrainian delegation in Belarus, saying how can there be negotiations when one side is shelling the other, Ali?
Uh, Aaron Stamby, Keir Simmons is for us in Moscow. Keir, one of the things we've been commenting on in the last few days is the degree to which U.S. intelligence about what was going to happen uh, turned out to be very accurate. Uh, and it was it was the basis on which the U.S. and the European Union and NATO were acting. Even Vladimir Zelensky did not believe some of that intelligence. But one of the pieces that was reported is that the Russians were going to go for Kiev, the capital city, and they were going to be able to take it in a matter of days. That, that, that if whatever Russia wanted out of Ukraine because of its military superiority, it was going to be able to achieve. That has not happened right now. How is that reverberating in Russia? Well, it's not reverberating very well. Uh, people are noticing because despite what is said on Russian television, Russian state television, uh, which uh, certain aspects of the population watch, particularly, for example, older generations, so they have a, they're getting a different perspective. Many, <clears throat> many people, of course, are able to talk to people uh, in Ukraine. But you know, Ali, I had an opportunity to listen to a, a briefing today from uh, Western officials, and it really highlighted that in the view of Western officials, Russian intelligence was bad. Now, the Pentagon has already said that, that Russia is facing uh, more resistance than it thought. Here's what Western officials uh, said today. Uh, they said uh, that Vladimir Putin's uh, pronouncements in an essay he wrote last year and in multiple speeches that Ukraine and Russia were brothers and that Ukrainians would welcome the Russians with open arms, that he really believed that so much so that he baked it into the Russian uh, strategy. So you know, remember, President Putin is absolutely the, in charge. He, he is the commander. He made the plans. He baked that in. The fact that that hasn't happened has surprised everyone in the Kremlin, including uh, President uh, Putin himself. Here's another aspect uh, that we learned in, in the past few days, Ali, which is really fascinating. It goes to the same point. This pronouncement by President Putin that the nuclear forces will be put on higher alert. He said that he did that because of aggressive comments by NATO. Now, it appears that a, 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 a speech made by the UK defense minister was shown on, on Russian television. And that's what, if you like, wound President Putin up. So President Putin appears to have been watching Russian television, seen something he didn't like, and made an announcement of Russian foreign policy. I'll let you fill in the blanks for what other uh, former president that uh, sounds yeah. like. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, thanks to both of you. We appreciate your reporting. It's the middle of the night for you at 2 a.m., uh, I believe, in Lviv, 3 a.m. in uh, Moscow. Uh, please stay safe, both of you, Aaron McLaughlin and Keir Simmons. I'm joined now by Ina Sovson, a member of the Ukrainian parliament and a former deputy minister of education and science. Ms. Sovson, thank you for uh, being with us today. Your story is like so many ordinary Ukrainians. You have another job. You are a parliamentarian, but you are now weapons trained. You are now uh, in your your home with a weapon in case you have to defend your city against invading Russians. I suspect this is not a position you have ever expected to find yourself in. Oh, that is so much true. Uh, just for the background, I, I am a university professor. That is what I was doing in life, and that is uh, what I was uh, trained to do. And uh, right now, I do have a gun. I haven't used it as of yet, but it is here, and I go to sleep next to the gun, uh, just like so many other Ukrainians right now. And I also have, uh, well, well, my boyfriend is with the army. My dad joined the territorial defense. I had to make sure to relocate my son to the rest of Ukraine to make sure that he's safe and I can stay here in Ukraine and, and continue my, my work as a member of parliament here and then not worry about his safety every every minute. 
so I think that is just the story which is so typical of, of so many Ukrainians right now. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, um, it's because of this uh, atrocious war that Putin launched on Ukraine is that we are in this position right now. Uh, so uh, we just want that to stop. Uh, we just want to go home. I'm actually not at my home right now. I'm uh, in the wardrobe at my friend's place because that is the only place where I can turn on the lights and, and feel wow. safe without uh, right, getting you, lights into the windows. Correct. Yeah, yeah. It's the middle of the night. And you've got a light on uh, in your window. Tell me about your father. You said your father is part of the territorial defense. What is that? And, 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 and what is your father's role? And, and what took, got him into this? So the territorial defense are those units of volunteers uh, who are signing up uh, for uh, protecting the specific territory. And I will tell you the truth. The only time I actually cried during the, the five days war was the first day when I saw the huge lines in the military recruitment office wow. of people signing up for the, uh, for, for, the mil, uh, for the territorial defense. As of yesterday, over 100,000 people signed up for territorial defense. Uh, they are being provided with weapons. Uh, we do need more protective gear and and, uh, and stuff and training for them. And, and and so did my dad, actually. It huh. was quite unexpectedly for myself because the first day of war, he took my mom to the west of Ukraine to make sure that she would be safe. But the next day, my mom called me and said, like, you know, dad is coming back home. And I called him and I said, dad, why are you coming? And he, like, like seriously, this was the quote, he said, uh, you know, I have to go back to protect the capital of Ukraine, the city of Kiev. And I said, Dad, you are 61 years old. Uh, well, you, he is an Afghan war veteran, so he has experience with guns. But he is, uh, well, he has sick knees, so he doesn't walk very fast. And he told me, well, if I don't walk very fast, I will crawl, but I will defend the capital. So he is now, uh, he's not doing some extremely dangerous uh, work because that is being covered by, by the military. Uh, but he's patrolling the territory, just like so many other people, because uh, what Russians did, uh, and that is something, uh, some of the biggest dangers inside Kiev right now, because they haven't entered the city, uh, but they did infiltrate many uh, groups of people who are walking around the city. They start shooting randomly at people, or they help set the targets for the missile attacks. Uh, so, so. Uh, those uh, territorial defense units, they are trying to patrol and find officials, guys, and try to, um, you know, to make sure that they're not a threat anymore, uh, that they are doing a great job, actually. And, and as you are reporting, uh, this level of resistance, it's just, uh, it just amazing. I, I expected Ukrainians to resist, but now I'm just in love with every single one of them. Hmm. Uh, regardless of their political affiliation, I believe we would have uh, so many differences once we start uh, speaking after the victory. But right now, it's just everyone is, is so much involved. And what is important to understand, because Putin was drawing this narrative that uh, he's coming to free Russian speakers mm -hmm. here in Ukraine. But Russian speakers are, are fighting as hard against him and against his invasion as Ukrainian speakers. Um, so, so that is how it wow. is right now. That story about your dad, uh, who has difficulty walking, who says he will crawl. Um, who returned to Kiev after taking your mother to the West. I, I, it, we're hearing stories like this every day. Um, thank you for sharing this with us. Uh, Ukrainian parliament uh, you, member Ina Sovson uh, has returned and is staying in, uh, in Kiev to, uh, to help defend the country.
Up next on the readout, the global condemnation of Russia is almost universal, and a new round of sanctions have left the Russian economy in tatters. It appears that Putin made several huge miscalculations, and all he has left are provocative nuclear threats. The question, though, is, is he bluffing? Or is it coming unhinged? Plus, a key test tomorrow for the Republican Party as President Biden delivers his State of the Union address. Can Republicans put aside the trolling and the rancor and show some American unity against a foreign adversary? And he's Ukraine's David David to Russia's Goliath, this one-time comedian who nobody's laughing at anymore. The remarkable journey of Volodymyr Zelensky. The readout continues after this. The world is showing a mostly united front against Russia's aggression in Ukraine, with the entire United Nations holding an emergency session today. Now, just so you understand, this is only the 10th time that that's happened since 1950. We gather in the General Assembly to stand against Russia's illegal attack on Ukraine. We condemn in the strongest possible terms the unprovoked invasion of Ukraine. We are greatly concerned by the dire humanitarian situation in Ukraine. What is currently being deliberately inflicted upon Ukraine does not allow us to remain silent. We cannot accept one country attacking another without justification. It is illegal, it is illegitimate, And it is unacceptable. Now, that seemed pretty universal, except for this. There was one notable exception, China, which said it didn't support a Cold War mentality, but that Russia had, quote, legitimate security concerns. Now, putting that aside, it's not just diplomatic rhetoric coming from world leaders. They are, in fact, taking real action. And what might be its biggest financial hit yet The United States is sanctioning Russia's central bank, like the Fed, effectively removing Russia's ability to trade in U.S. dollars as a government. Switzerland is foregoing its traditional neutrality, adopting the EU's sanctions against Russia, including the freezing of Russian assets in Swiss banks. And Germany is sending weapons to Ukraine in a hugely historic move, reversing its policy of never sending weapons to conflict zones. As the Associated Press points out, within days, Russian President Vladimir Putin has achieved what remained out of the grasp of the European Union for many decades to jointly buy and send weapons to a war zone and restored something that was broken for years, transatlantic unity. I'm joined now by Nayara Huck, host of The World Tonight on BNC News, former White House senior director under President Obama and former senior advisor at the State Department. Nayara, great to see you. Thank you for uh, being with us. I have to ask you about what it is that has made Vladimir Putin sort of backed him into this corner in which he is talking about nuclear warfare. Is it the unity with which he's been faced by NATO or by Western allies or by the G7? Is it the sanctions? Something has put him over the top. Well, all of the above, Ali. And it, it's based on the fact that as far back as 2014, Putin was getting away with everything. He rolled into Crimea, annexed it, and he got kicked out of the G8 club. It turned into the G7. Minimal sanctions at that time. Uh, he is supported with barrel bombs, some of the most horrific weapons. Uh, the war in Syria creating a refugee crisis that 
overwhelmed Europe at the time. All of that can be placed at the feet of Russia. So, you know, fast forward, he has the Trump administration where NATO has been undermined. Uh, the transatlantic alliance seems to be broken. He thought his work was done for him. Biden comes mm-hmm. in, talks about this existential crisis between democracy, autocracy. But Putin doesn't necessarily think that Biden or the world is going to stand up to him because they hadn't before. And what we're seeing now is 130 countries working in unity to cripple the Russian economy and hold Putin and his cronies directly responsible. What's different this time, Nayar? Because as you mentioned, uh, Russia did this in 2014 in Crimea, right after the Ukrainians had protested and thrown out their own government because they, they didn't like them. They did it in Georgia in 2008. Other countries have invaded other countries. The UN always says this isn't allowed we don't do it. Why all of a sudden is there this this global unity and, and pressure to to stop Russia? Well, we can point to the first Gulf War in which there was a coalition of the willing who did push Saddam Hussein back towards his borders after the invasion of Ukraine. So there is precedent for this. But the, the focus on Russia in particular, probably coming off of the fact that the United States has been a target for Russian disinformation, for election interference, just as recently as this past summer for a cyber attack on our colonial pipeline. So the Russia, the threat of Russia has only increased and become more severe for the American public. Biden also has framed his entire foreign policy agenda around this axis of democracy versus autocracy. Uh, And of course, we do see that rhetoric of white supremacy that has also uh, aligned many people with Putin. And folks do think that this is an opportunity to stand up for this idea of democracy on the world stage. And, and, And credit where it's due, Ali, President Biden has known Putin for more than 20 years and engaged with him on the world stage. So as president, he's also learning from the lessons uh, and potentially the mistakes made when he was vice president or in the Senate. I, w- I want to ask you about a Quinnipiac poll that came out today that said 63 percent of Americans are concerned that Russia may use nuclear weapons if NATO tries to interfere with the invasion. Seventy percent of Americans You can't get 70 percent of people to agree on anything in this country. Seventy percent say American troops should get involved if Russia invades a NATO country. Now, obviously, Ukraine's not a NATO country, but Lithuania and Poland in particular and other NATO countries have legitimate and real fears that Russia will uh, roll over and, and, and come into their countries. Tell me tell me how to think about this. Well, President Biden said this himself yes, last week, that he does not think that Putin is going to stop at Ukraine. So what can be done right now to make him suffer for just this incursion and this attack on Ukraine to then prevent him from his visions of expanding forward? But that said, um, Putin, according to multiple reports, is not the same person he was multiple years ago. Claims of him becoming irrational, uh, him overreacting. He's in COVID has been in a really small circle uh, placed several dozen and feet away on a table from his own advisor. So he is not seeing the reality the rest of us are. Having a crippled economy and massive protests in his country may prompt him to only act out even further. But at the moment that the plan is to use all of these non-military tools to try to keep this nuclear-armed Russia, a threat we saw in the 80s, a threat that Ronald Reagan uh, railed against, that the current Republican Party is not holding firm against. So everyone trying to keep that eventuality at bay. 
Nayara, it is great to see you again. Thank you for joining us tonight. Nayara Huck, uh, still ahead. How long will ordinary Russians put up with the steep price that they're paying for Putin's aggression? And what's Putin's end game in all of this? We'll be right back. Tonight, the Western world's financial grip on Russia continues to tighten. The United States and the EU imposed new measures, effectively cutting Russia off from its sizable war chest that it set aside for this very situation. The move blocks all people in the United States and the EU, all people and businesses, from trading with Russia's central bank. The restrictions are a dramatic escalation, choking off Russia from the rest of the world and shaking the very foundations of its economy. In a tacit acknowledgement of just how bad things have gotten, in a bizarre setting, take a look at this picture, take a look at where he is and where everybody else is, Putin summoned his economic advisors to the Kremlin and signed a decree on foreign currency in a bid to stabilize the ruble. Isn't working, though. Russians are lining up to withdraw cash from banks, something that Putin's sure to be worried about, because this is eerily reminiscent of similar scenes during the collapse of the Soviet Union. The financial sanctions have hit a nerve with Putin, who for a second day in a row now raised the specter of nuclear war and denounced the U.S. and its allies as an empire of lies. And in another telling sign, Russian telecom regulators partially restricted the country's access to Facebook. This comes as Russian anti-war activists continue to take to the streets to protest Russia's invasion of Ukraine. That comes at a very high cost, by the way, in Russia. If you get arrested for protesting the government in Russia, it's career ending. Joining me now is the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, William Taylor. He's the vice president for Russia and Europe at the U.S. Institute of Peace. Ambassador, good to see you. Thank you for uh, being with us. What is what is success look like for Vladimir Putin here? It's become very confusing because first he said this was about NATO backing him into a corner. Then he said it was about protecting Russians inside of uh, Ukraine. Then he said it's about the denazification uh, of Ukraine, that Ukraine's really not a country. It's very hard to go into a war without a very clear focus. You're exactly right. He has no justification for this war. He tried to manufacture one. He tried to lure the Ukrainians into making a mistake and and provoke and being provoked, and they didn't. They were disciplined. So you you got the right question, Ali. What is he after? My sense is, who knows what's really in his head, but my sense is what he has said is Ukraine. He wants Ukraine. He wants to be the great Russian leader who brings back Ukraine into the Russian world, into the Russian empire, uh, into the former Soviet Union space. Um, and, and nothing will do until he has full control over Ukraine one way or the other. He tried, Ali, as we know, for a long time, he thought this maybe the Minsk group, the Minsk mm-hmm. process through Donetsk would, would give him this control. It didn't. It failed. Uh, the Ukrainians pushed back hard. The Germans and the French were not willing to push on the Ukrainians, much to the Russians' frustration. So now he's trying something more dramatic. Um, he he hoped that he could bl- he could bluff and blunder, bluster and 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 intimidate President Zelensky into into kind of caving and, and coming back into the fold. No, President Zelensky made it very clear that he's not coming back in. He's standing far, firm. He's not going to leave Ukraine. He's not going to leave Kiev. President Zelensky is just standing up to President Putin, who is really 
focused on Ukraine. You know, one of the arguments that that uh, Vladimir Putin made and maybe believed is that Ukraine was a troubled place. It has gone through revolutions. It is uncertain. It, it, corruption runs deep in that country. There's no question that all of those things are true. And, and, and Vladimir Putin seemed to think that was going to work. That was going to somehow help him take over Ukraine, a weak country that nobody would actually come to the defense of. Something has happened, though. Volodymyr Zelensky, um, who two weeks ago everybody thought was in over his head dealing with the world's master manipulator, has somehow rallied regular Ukrainians. We talk to them every hour on our on our shows here. People who've got a gun and they're ready to fight for the country. That was not an expected outcome. That was not an expected outcome by most of the world. Uh, I will tell you. So I met Vladimir Zelensky when he was first elected. Uh, I was there for about seven months while he was new in office. We had several good conversations. I saw him again three weeks ago in his office. He was determined um, and he was resolute. He was calm. Some people said too calm, but he was very firm against President Putin's demands and his saber rattling and his attempt to intimidate. So President Zelensky has stood up and you're right. You're right, Ali. He has led his country. He has he has gotten his whole country behind him. I also talked to some good friends of mine that are still there. They, one fellow took his wife and children out to the western part of the country where his father lived. And then he turned back around and went back to Kiev, picked up his weapon, and is now very proud to be working for President Zelensky. He's very proud of President Zelensky. So this is something that has emerged over the past month or two that is that is that is impressive to see. It, it is it is remarkable to imagine people taking up arms. The math on this simply does not work for Ukrainians. Uh, the, everything in the military, uh, the Russians have more of and they're better trained. Uh, Russians have found themselves mired in wars uh, in occupations of countries, including Afghanistan, that didn't work for them. And when body bags started coming back, the Russian population turned against them. Putin's different. He, he has a harder grip on Russia. Protesting is very costly in Russia. And yet we are seeing it happen. We're seeing journalists um, writing letters to say this is in, uh, inappropriate. We see people getting arrested. There is real. I mean, it's not big by, you know, in terms of percentages of Russians, but something's happening in Russia. Ali, you're exactly right. Something is happening. Not not just journalists. Uh, about three, four weeks ago, a very senior retired general, a hardcore general um, in the in the Russian uh, services, um, wrote a letter, same kind of thing, saying, Mr. Putin, Mr. President, don't do this. Don't invade. This was before the invasion. And and this, this general said, if you do, you could create a backlash among Russians. And he even used the word uprising. So this is something that, that senior people, experienced people, are very worried about. And exactly what you say, Ali, it's the economic challenge that all these sanctions are putting on and all these people going to pull their money out. But it's going to get even worse when the Russian soldiers come back to be buried in towns and villages across across the country. And families are going to ask, why are our sons and daughters and brothers and why are they being killed? Why are they being killed? Yep. This is going to be this is going to be flammable. This is going to be inflammable. We're already hearing stories about families that didn't know what their kids in the army were going to do. Even those kids in the army didn't know what they were going to do. And now some of them are being killed. Ambassador, good to see you. Thank you for being with us tonight. Ambassador William Taylor. Up next, President Biden prepares to deliver his first State of the Union address tomorrow night. Can we expect 
any Republicans to show any support for the president in this time of international crisis as one usually does. Times aren't normal. Stay with us. Tomorrow night, President Biden will deliver his first State of the Union address. It comes amid crises, both domestic and global, including the war in Ukraine, economic uncertainty here at home, and, of course, coronavirus. The president faces low approval ratings in a series of new polls, but tomorrow's speech offers him a big opportunity. Because with the entire world on edge, it is a time when President Biden's decades of experience actually come down to bear. Politico reports, quote, Biden is uniquely suited for the new role that has been thrust upon him. It was Biden and his team's patience and close consultation with European allies that has led to the extraordinary unity now on display, end quote. The question is, will he see any of that same unity when it comes to Republicans? The signs aren't promising. This weekend, Marjorie Taylor Greene appeared as the guest speaker at a conference organized by a white nationalist who literally encouraged a pro-Putin chant. While over at the clown car that is CPAC, the twice impeached former president defended his praise of the Russian dictator. The problem is not that Putin is smart, which of course he's smart, but the real problem is that our leaders are dumb. This from the man who got impeached for the first time for withholding congressionally approved military aid to Ukraine and shaking down its president. With me now is David Jolly, former Republican congressman from Florida, who's no longer affiliated with the party. Uh, he is an MSNBC political analyst, and he's entirely the wrong guy to have this conversation with, David, because you were never one of those people, right? CPAC used to be a regular conservative conference, which we would often cover. It would have conservative speakers and conservative thinkers. Yeah, sure. It would often push toward, um, you know, further right than the mainstream of, of conservative thought. But it was normal. Now it's a clown car. It's ridiculous. It has the pizza guy. It has the pillow guy. It has uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, it's It's got Donald Trump saying crazy stuff. It's got pe people cheering yeah. for Putin. W what is going on? Well, I think it reflects the state of the party. It's a lot of crazy and a little conservative, right? And so you did hear some conservative themes, but they were minimal. They were drowned out by the way Donald Trump has kind of smashed the GOP orthodoxy of the past and recast the party and the movement in his image. And so CPAC is kind of a trailing indicator to all things Donald Trump. And even the speakers you see have to fit within that Trump lane or they're not invited. CPAC is not a, a conservative Confest anymore. In fact, I think Matt Schlapp, the CPAC director, has said they don't even call themselves conservatives anymore. And I think the world would agree. Uh, I, the reason I say I, mean, I always enjoy speaking to you, the reason I say you're the wrong guy to talk about this is because you, you were never in that that weird space. Um, I, I remember a yeah. time when Republicans uh, were were about national security and global security and the threat that the Soviet Union posed and the threat that post-Soviet yeah. uh, Russia posed. How does that get lost? I, I, I entirely understand that there are people yeah. who just don't want to see any success from Joe Biden whatsoever. But how does the idea that an expansionist Russia is talking about nuclear weaponry get lost on some Republicans? Look, we're, we're now 10 years into this refashioning of the GOP, and we can talk about ideology. We can talk about cult of personality. I think the greatest uh, casualty of the last 10 years for the GOP is that it's no longer a serious 
party. And what I mean by that is, look, a serious party and a serious Congress, honestly, regardless of Republican or Democratic, in the initial days of the Russian invasion of Ukraine would have said in concert together that Congress stands ready to provide Joe Biden and the Western alliance every resource that is needed to stop the aggression we're seeing from Russia. That's it. We're here to do our job to provide resources to protect the security Mm -hmm. of the world. That's not today's Republican Party. It is no longer a serious party. And I say that with a lot of lament, not simply conjecture. Uh, there, there are there's some hope. Uh, Marco Rubio tweeted uh, today and he's pretty predictable on this stuff. But he said uh, growing signs Putin has ordered a medieval siege of Kiev, cut a city of millions off from food, fuel, power, communication and supplies and then bomb and starve the government into submission. We need to start thinking about what we can and are willing to do to prevent yeah. such a barbaric crime. Now, again, this is in keeping with uh Generally speaking, Marco Rubio's hawkish thinking uh, about uh, military affairs. Does does he have enough sway? Do people are there enough Republicans? Are we going to no. see tomorrow night? Are we going to see Republicans applaud uh, President Biden for putting together this this coalition to, to go after Russia? No, because I will also point out Marco Rubio just said he's not even going to attend tomorrow night over protests over the covid testing requirements, which also suggests that a petty grievance between one of the leaders of Senate Intel and the president of the United States is going to interfere with such a coalition. I think the unity you will see from Republicans tomorrow is around support for Ukraine, but Mm. not support for Joe Biden. And that's going to be the nuance. When Joe Biden says to the world tomorrow night, the people of America stand with Ukraine, you'll see almost unanimous applause. But when he asks for a coalition of Republicans and Democrats to stand with Joe Biden as the leader among this coalition of the West or one of the leaders, that's where you'll see the public dissent that is undermining the, th- the authority of the United States on the world stage. And yet the stuff that Joe Biden has done in the last couple of months having to do with Ukraine is reminiscent of George H.W. Bush. It's reminiscent of of other uh, American presidents who have said in the face of a global threat, America will take a leadership role. Uh, He does not seem either in polling or in the Republican Party for the moment to be getting any credit for that. No, and I think you will see quietly, right? Nobody even in in the Republican Party that's responsible wants to give Joe Biden credit because they're all political narcissists. But I think you will see Congress, a number of leading Republicans, respond affirmatively to Biden's request for, I believe, $7 billion in new assistance to Ukraine, both military and non-military. I think the interesting question, though, and this is where if we truly had a serious conversation about this, is it time for the United States and the West to establish and expand a more permanent presence Uh in places like Poland? And understand, we have standing installations in Germany, Japan, other places around the world. I'm not suggesting armed conflict with the Russians. But what we were unwilling to do in Ukraine, in large part because they're not a NATO member, are we willing to Mm -hmm. do to protect NATO, the eastern flank of NATO? I think we need to do that. Well, the Poles and the Lithuanians in particular would be very interested in that. They are truly concerned that an expansionist Russia will roll into a NATO country. And even if they're NATO members, they're worried it'll happen. David, good to see you. Um, You know the truth. I always enjoy talking to you. So I am very pleased that uh, you (laughs) joined me tonight with your analysis and your experience. David Jolly. All right. From comedian to president to a global champion for democracy, how Volodymyr Zelensky is inspiring millions around the world with his courage and his commitment. We'll be right back. At first, even supporters of the Ukrainian president worried that he was in way over his head as Putin's troops descended upon Kiev. Well, those days are over. 
Volodymyr Zelensky's decision to remain in his country, in its besieged capital, has catapulted him into a global hero and a cultural icon. What has emerged is the story of good versus evil, the future versus then. On one side, Zelensky, an actor who campaigned for president primarily on social media and who's now posting strong, defiant videos to social media to rally his country and the world against the president of Russia. On the other end, Putin, the isolated villain of this story, isolated, take a look at this picture again. His forces bogged down, holding bitterly on to a past that only he and his cronies want. The L.A. Times writes, Zelensky speaks to a modern Europe seeking to move beyond the nationalist tendencies that ignited two world wars. His message is clear, which is why one Ukrainian journalist wrote in The Washington Post, I did not vote for Ukraine's president. But his courage has changed my mind and inspired millions. Captain Ukraine, the first true president of Ukraine, a hero, a leader. I would never thought I would see people use these terms to refer to Volodymyr Zelensky. Joining me now is MSNBC's counterterrorism and intelligence analyst Malcolm Nance. He's the author of the upcoming book, They Want to Kill Americans, the Militias, Terrorists and Deranged Ideology of the Trump Insurgency. Malcolm, you have uh, spent a good amount of time in recent days in uh, Ukraine, and you, you gave me some sense that this was happening. You were telling me about people who were preparing to fight, and it seemed ridiculous, frankly, the idea that there would be individual people with no weapons training, with no military training like yourself, uh, who are going to go into war against the massive Russian army. And suddenly, that's what they did. And it was fascinating because for weeks out of the, the, the month that I spent there on the ground, analyzing the, the ground order of battle and the, you know, the Ukrainian army, the civilians and the civilian government just took an attitude that it's not going to happen. However, I also got a tone out of them that made them believe, well, if it does happen, we're going to fight. So what you've seen here is the full circle of them, not in denial, but certainly hoping that, you know, the better angels of Vladimir Putin, which we see he has none, would actually come and take hold. They now are in fight mode. And I like to use this quote, it is not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. And they are proving they have a lot of fight. What is that? Uh, what's the relationship between the size of the fight in the dog of, of Ukrainians, ordinary Ukrainians and Volodymyr Zelensky? What's what's the connection there? Well, certainly, you know, he is a very unusual character to become president. I mean, he, he was a comedian that was playing a character who accidentally becomes president, right? It'd be like Jon Stewart of The Daily Show coming and becoming president of the United States, which is not necessarily a bad thing, John. So for that to take hold, it's it, 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 it was this improbable character who showed his true character when the absolute worst came, when the bombardment of the first night, right. hundred cruise missiles, ballistic missiles, airstrikes struck his country, he went from a shirt and a tie to what he's wearing right there, yep. into a combat fatigue shirt. And then he went around, you know, with his body armor, with his helmet, and defiantly said to Vladimir Putin, who expected him to get on an executive jet and fly mm -hmm. away to Poland. Which he was offered. He said, I'm staying here, I'm going to fight. 
He was offered that. He was offered the ability to leave. The man is 44 years old. Um, he, has, he has grown into his job in a remarkable way in the last uh, week. Uh, this is a guy who a few weeks ago wasn't, didn't seem to be taking the threat as seriously as Joe Biden was, uh, thought that maybe the West was overreacting, and it caused people to say, maybe he's not ready. And, and then this has happened. He has transformed into a, a global leader of sorts in the fight for democracy. And, you know, I think the the character that he's showing right here is very typically Ukrainian. And this is why, I've, you know, when I've been doing my security assessments here in the last few days, you know, I'm one of the few analysts that believe I think the Ukrainians could win this thing. And when I say win, I mean win in the sense that Russia will not receive, will not achieve most, if not any, of its strategic objectives. I think that they, in fact, have so much experience that, that where the Russians are making inroads is because they want Russia to make those inroads. And the places where they don't, like the city of Kharkiv, Sumy, uh, and Kiev, they're not even doing very well, even though they're throwing their mass weight by. Zelensky is the embodiment of that defiant nature. And they are willing to take this country to the edge. This is why you see young women taking AK-47s and saying, well, I've never fired one before, but I'm going to now. Yeah. These women who are filling bottles of Molotov cocktails and saying, I'll throw one out my window down an armored personnel carrier. You cannot beat this attitude. Yeah. And granted, we may have to get a logistics chain on them, tail on them to help them. But how do you beat somebody that cannot be tramped down, whose, whose attitude cannot be broken. You told us this is how uh, it was going to go down. It's amazing. Malcolm, thanks uh, again for being with us. Malcolm Nance, um, as always. Hey, Joy is back tomorrow night for the readout at 7, which is followed by special coverage of President Biden's State of the Union address at 8 p.m. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.